While pregnant women are at increased risk for venous thromboembolic events if they have an inherited thrombophilia, what about the fetus? Aside from posing a threat to the mother, clotting disorders have been associated with adverse pregnancy outcomes. You are listening to ReachMD, XM, the channel for medical professionals. Today we are discussing the thrombophilias. In this segment, we will be focusing on thrombophilias and adverse pregnancy outcomes. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Michael Benson. With me today is Dr. Charles Lockwood. He is the Anita O'Keefe Young Professor of Women's Health and Chair of the Department of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Reproductive Sciences at Yale University School of Medicine. Dr. Lockwood does hemostasis research and is an internationally recognized expert on thrombophilias. Welcome, Dr. Lockwood. Thank you. We're pleased to have you on the show. So what types of adverse events are attributed to the thrombophilias in pregnancy? Well, generally speaking, five different adverse pregnancy outcomes have been associated with inherited thrombophilias in the literature. Now, I don't necessarily subscribe to each of these, but I'll tell you what they are. So the first would be spontaneous abortions or embryonic losses before 10 weeks. The second would be fetal losses at or after 10 weeks, and these include stillbirths at term. The third would be abruptions or hemorrhage into the uterine wall, the decidual of pregnancy. The fourth, preeclampsia. And the fifth, intrauterine growth restriction or field growth restriction. The first trimester loss is before 10 weeks. Do you feel personally that there's good evidence that the thrombophilias contribute to this, or are you a bit skeptical? I'm very skeptical. I published a paper with my colleagues that argued that, in fact, thrombophilias were protective (laughs) against losses at or before nine weeks of of pregnancy. And there's a lot of reasons to think that that's true. First of all, there, there are large retrospective cohort studies from Europe that show no association. The larger meta-analyses have shown a very weak or no association. But I think the critical thing is when you look at first trimester losses, if you divide the group between those before 10 weeks and those between 10 and 13 weeks, you get very different results. So, for example, when we looked at this, we found there was this protective effect on losses before 10 weeks. They had a, about a 45% reduction in risk if you had a thrombophilia, whereas there was a statistically significant increased risk of loss after 10 weeks, at or after 10 weeks, about a 76% increase in risk if you had a thrombophilia. Now, why would that be? Well, before 10 weeks, and certainly before 9 weeks, there really isn't substantial blood flow in the placental circulation. In fact, this plugging of the maternal spiral arteries that feed the placenta before nine weeks by placental cells, and the level of oxygen in the what we call intervillous space, the placental blood flow area, is very, very low before nine weeks. And the trophoblast is very sensitive to oxygen before 10 weeks. So it actually makes sense that thrombophilias would not cause these real early losses, but in fact uh, might even be protective. But as soon as you develop that active blood flow and oxygen levels shoot way up and the fetus can be resistant to excess oxygen, the, the, the embryo, which occurs at between 9 and 10 weeks, then clotting in that circulation would make sense to promote loss. So we think that it probably doesn't cause losses before 10 weeks, but it likely is associated with a very modest two-fold increased risk of losses in the first trimester at 10 to 13 weeks, in the second trimester from 13 weeks to 26 weeks, and in the third trimester 
from 26 weeks or so until term. I see. And what about our reproductive endocrinology colleagues who place patients on aspirin if they have thrombophilias just for the first trimester? I <laughs> respectfully disagree that, that there's any evidence that these inherited thrombophilias reduce the success rate of IVF. There's been meta-analyses that have shown no association between thrombophilias and IVF failure. I think that aspirin might lead to some bleeding complications, et cetera, if women don't need it, and I don't think they would before 10 weeks, or to prevent IVF failure, to prevent these real early miscarriages. On the other hand, if you're treating a woman who's had recurrent stillbirths or recurrent miscarriages after 10 weeks, at or after 10 weeks, then the appropriate treatment for thrombophilic patients, patients with inherited thrombophilias, would be heparin or low molecular weight heparin, not aspirin. So in this context, aspirin probably does not have much utility. That's right. Although to put on your Society for Gynecologic Investigation hat for a second, isn't there some evidence that aspirin throughout pregnancy reduces the risk of preeclampsia? It's very controversial even now and even with the recent Lancet report that suggested a reanalysis of meta-analyses that baby aspirin, low-dose aspirin as, as we now call it, might be associated with a very modest, uh, in the order of you know 15% reduction in preeclampsia. Still, the largest randomized clinical trials that have been done, including one done by the Maternal Fetal Medicine Network here in the United States, have shown no benefit to low-dose aspirin in reducing the risk of preeclampsia. So, you know, I think when you look at all the studies that have been published, many of the original, smaller, primarily European studies did show an association with reduced risk of preeclampsia and low-dose aspirin. But the larger, well-done studies have shown no association. And when you put them all together in meta-analyses, there is a very modest effect. I personally don't think there is an effect, but if a woman has had recurrent preeclampsia, there's probably very little downside to giving her a low-dose aspirin. I see, but it, probably not appropriate, certainly in the first trimester, for the thrombophilias. That's correct. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Dr. Charles Lockwood, Chair of the Department of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Reproductive Sciences at Yale University School of Medicine. He is also an internationally recognized expert on thrombophilias. Today we are discussing the adverse pregnancy outcomes of women who have these thrombophilias. Now, what kind of adverse outcomes are there uh, or increased risk is there for Factor V Leiden? Well, Factor V Leiden, being the most common of the inherited thrombophilias, is associated with the greatest uh, number of citations in the literature. So we have a lot of data on Factor V Leiden. And it really serves, I think, as a good ex example of all the other five conditions. So we know, I think, pretty convincingly that Factor V Leiden is not associated with early miscarriages before 10 weeks, that it is associated with miscarriages from 10 to 13 weeks and with fetal losses thereafter and stillbirth, but the association is very modest, about a two-fold increased risk. We also know that Factor V Leiden seems to be associated with a higher risk of abruption, a hemorrhage into the wall of the uterus, and particularly recurrent abruption. However, when we begin to look at other adverse pregnancy outcomes, for example, preeclampsia, the literature is a lot more confusing. And when we look at meta-analyses of multiple small studies, case control studies and cohort studies that were done before the year 2000, there seems to be about a three-fold increased risk of preeclampsia in women with Factor V Leiden. 
But when we look at studies that have been published after 2000, there is no association. And that suggests a big publication bias, that people that were initially afraid to publish negative results took comfort in some, some initial negative studies and began publishing them. So the most recent studies have really not shown an association with preeclampsia. The jury's still not in on the association between factor V Leiden and severe early onset preeclampsia. And there might be an association there, although it's yet to be proven. What about the other thrombophilias in terms of preeclampsia? Is the story pretty much the same? I think it is. There's a lot less literature, but I think that as a general statement, with the potential exception of hyperhomocysteinemia, which is very rare in pregnancy since we give pregnant women folic acid and they take prenatal vitamins, that in general there doesn't seem to be a strong association between the inherited thrombophilias and preeclampsia. And uh, regarding abruption, I take it there is a, a pretty good association between the thrombophilias and abruption. There is, but unlike fetal loss, where we now have randomized clinical trials to suggest that heparin prevents recurrent fetal loss in inherited thrombophilia patients, we don't have such studies with abruption. So there does seem to be an association. I think that if the condition is hyperhomocysteinemia, which is most strongly associated with abruption, the treatment's easy. It's excess folic acid, 4 milligrams a day, and that almost always works to normalize homocysteine levels. But we don't know at this point whether treating women with recurrent abruptions with heparin, if they have an inherited thrombophilia, reduces the risk. There's some indirect evidence that it might, but there are no randomized clinical trials to inform clinical management in that context. When it comes to abruption, are most abruptions caused by thrombophilias or are the causes of abruption still somewhat mysterious? The most common cause is preeclampsia and, and hypertension, and there it probably is a combination of damaged blood vessels and high blood pressure. But in fact, that accounts for probably the, maj- the majority or at least half of abruptions. Cigarette smoking is another common cause. But if you eliminate those two causes, then thrombophilias probably account, in my opinion, for the vast majority of the, the other occurrences of recurrent abruption. You're talking about recurrent abruption, not just abruption occurring in isolation in normal tensive patients. Yeah, I mean, in normal tensive patients that have a single abruption, we're not sure yet whether it's cost-effective to do a thorough workup of those patients because the recurrence risk, if they don't smoke and they don't have high blood pressure, is probably only on the order of about 5%. And in the first trimester, somebody comes in with vaginal bleeding and an ultrasound shows a retroplacental clot in the first trimester. In your eyes, does that have any clinical significance? Is that, can that be considered a mini-abruption? <laughs> it is, by definition, a mini-abruption, but it's a very common one. 20% of women will have that. certainly doesn't warrant a very expensive workup for thrombophilias. I would you know, say one thing about that setting, and that is that although we usually dismiss that as being a concern to women and reassure them, which we probably should be doing, it is associated with about a two-fold higher risk of spontaneous preterm delivery, and particularly preterm premature rupture of the membrane. So while we should reassure patients, we should be a little bit more vigilant about their other risk factors for spontaneous preterm delivery. With regard to prothrombin gene mutations, protein S, protein C, and antithrombin antibody, what are the risks for abruption or pregnancy loss? They seem very similar to factor V Leiden. Antithrombin deficiency would by itself, because it's so risky for the mum, warrant anticoagulation therapy, prophylaxis, 
during pregnancy in the postpartum period. As some would argue would being a homozygote for prothrombin gene mutation or factor V Leiden. But for the other conditions, there's the risk of clotting, if there's no personal or family history of clotting, is substantially lower. And the risk of adverse pregnancy outcomes are all very similar to factor V Leiden. Well, thank you for this information on the thrombophilias and fetal risk. I want to thank Dr. Charles Lockwood, Chair of the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology and Reproductive Sciences at Yale University School of Medicine and President of the Society for Gynecologic Investigation, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the thrombophilias. In this segment, we have focused on the thrombophilias and adverse pregnancy outcomes. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Be safe. Be informed. For comments and questions about this program, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.